What's up, everybody? It is your boy, Mr. R-O-Double-D. So I'm here back to bring you the first edition of the ATO podcast, the After Timeout podcast. So everyone knows I used to do a podcast or at least had the idea of doing a podcast. It was called Off the Court Podcast, but I decided to take a break and rebrand, rebrand it so I can just be more consistent. And it's funny now that I'm probably the most busiest I've ever been, and I finally found enough time to actually do a podcast on a more weekly basis. So I just wanted to come, especially after the finals, of course, Game one was Thursday. As of this recording, it is a Saturday night, uh, 11.30 p.m. to be exact. So I'm a little late to the party, but I wanted to make sure I had everything situated and straight. So uh, that's that. So Off the Court Podcast is no more. And I am now rebranding and remaking this podcast and calling it the ATO Podcast. Uh, I'm really excited and I'm really uh, pressed to see where this takes me and everyone knows I just like to talk in general. So why not have a podcast where you can talk all you want to, (laughs) but um, I just want to thank y'all for coming and tuning into the show. So let's just go ahead and jump right ahead in. Um, We're going to definitely go over game one of the finals, uh, what the golden state warriors went wrong and where the Boston Celtics really exploited what they can't do very, very well. Um, and that is the Golden State Warriors I'm talking about. So I really, I'm really excited to talk about that, talk about what adjustment each team needs to make. Uh, is that, um, And also far as just like the game plan of what the series is going to be like, what I think the series is going to be like in the future. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, I can't wait, but I want to talk about some NBA news uh, before we even get to that particular topic before we even get on to game one. I want to talk about the uh, rumor that Adam Silva had his, of course, his opening press conference um, for the finals. He does this every year. The commissioner does this every year. And he talks about different topics that uh, pretty much rumors about the league, of course, since the CBA is coming up. The renegotiation is coming up very, 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 very soon. Um, definitely discuss that. Discuss what I really want to get into and what I think is a huge mistake if he does that, which is shortening the NBA season. And to me, honest to God, truth, this is just me. I believe it'll be a big mistake to shorten the NBA season. In all reality, I don't think you need to shorten the NBA season. I really think you need to monitor the amateurs of the of basketball, such as the AAU season. And I think Richard Jefferson really summed this up perfectly. And I just want to quote one of his quotes that he said. And Richard Jefferson, uh, and I quote uh, complete disagree with shortening the 82 game season and of course he came up in the early 2000 mid 2000 where of course it was a badge of honor to play all 82 games and I I think personally a lot of players just don't want to play basketball they like basketball they don't love it um, but that's a whole whole nother topic but let's get into this quote that Richard Jefferson said about the potential shortening 
or the idea of shortening the season. I quote, professional sports is not good on your body. It's supposed to separate the people that can do it from the people that can't do it. Part of greatness is longevity. I think it's a joke. And I have to 100% agree with him. When you look at players of yesteryears, when you look at players of 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 the modern, the intro of the modern NBA with the Magics, the Birds, the Sidney Moncriefs, the Hakeem Olajuwans, the Clyde Drexlers, the Charles Barkleys, um, I believe they took pride in the fact that they played 82 games a season. And I believe it also comes sums down to that, like I said, amateur sports is not what it is today. Amateur sports is very, very big business. I believe if Adam Silva wants to to monitor or to to have more longevity out of his star players, there needs to be a monetization system of the AAU and EYBL, the Adidas circuit. It, it needs to be a monetization of those circuits because – when I'm hearing kids play six, seven, eight games in a weekend, your body is gonna your body is gonna break down faster than anything it it faster than any 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 NBA player will because these kids are literally coming into the league rookies coming into the league with seven eight years worth of pro NBA scheduling on their bodies already and they haven't played a single pro game yet so I believe the if Adam Silva, I believe he shouldn't shorten the season. I believe 100% he should definitely find some way where he can monitor the AAU system and monitor games because kids are literally playing a full NBA season plus in the summer. Like basketball is a completely year-round now. I'm I'm grateful for it. I benefit from it a lot. <laughs> it's big business, but literally, literally, Kids are playing hundreds of games in a summer. Kids are being now more uh, specialized now in sports where kids don't play multiple sports. I I don't know. This is just from my experience. I play multiple sports. I play football, basketball, track, and I did play baseball from a younger age. And I didn't suffer that, as many injuries, catastrophic injuries, as a lot of kids suffer today. Uh, I've had, of course I had my injuries. Um, I had a foot injury, but I had it later on. And that's when, you know, I was playing strictly like when I say strictly on concrete, I was playing strictly on concrete every single day. And, um, but I recovered fast, but I didn't play AAU. I didn't play AAU like that. I started playing AAU at 15 years old and we played once every other week, weekend, so one weekend, we totally stuck on just player skill development. But that's just my thoughts on it. I definitely want to um, – definitely will go into that into a later episode because I'm for sure – I know for sure I can make a whole episode on the AAU system, the shortening of the NBA season. I definitely can do that. But I also want to talk about the new CBA because it was discussed as well in Adam Silva's presser. And uh, he kind of brushed over it. <laughs> In all honesty, he really didn't say anything. Um, but I believe this new CBA is going to be grueling. That These owners are going to eat these players alive in these new negotiations because 
you hear these players um, like Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, um, Zion Williams, uh, Michael Porter Jr. You hear all these players. Michael Porter Jr. just got his extension last season, but Ben Simmons, where players are getting paid, Anthony Davidson. I'm just naming players off the top of my head. But where players are getting paid and not even playing, players are milking injuries more now than ever, and this goes into the 82-game season where I believe it don't need to be shortened. I believe it needs to become with more stipulations. And, you know, I'm just speaking from strictly a standpoint because I want to see the best players play against the best players. It's just that simple. I'm just, you know, me being a competitor, I want to see the best players. It's just that simple. I want to see the best players play against the best players. I want to see what it's like, like when the best player can learn how to dominate, dominate another team, learn how to take his team to uh, the next level. But I believe there will be more stipulations like a pay to play stipulations now where (laughs) the money is not fully guaranteed. You will see more football like structure um, contracts where contracts will literally be structured now where the the money is not fully guaranteed so you're going to hear these big numbers still but it's going to be a lot of money that's not guaranteed far as meeting certain criterias meeting certain minute uh uh minute um criterias game criterias uh stuff like that so I believe players will now be more incentive to play if these owners like I think they are are going to really emphasize that pay to play because I believe Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, those three catalysts, and not too far behind, honestly, are AD and Zion Williamson. I believe those those five players right there has literally changed the game where it's just like, okay, we're paying you all this money. You're a superstar player, and we got role players playing more than you. We got we got, we got nine stars playing more than you. You're always hurt. You're always injured. So, you know, Michael Jordan. I remember hearing that he had to have a he had to have a, a love of the game clause where they monitored him playing outside of the Bulls facility in the offseason because he just loved to play that much. But this comes down to just being raised different and coming from different situations. So. I just believe there there's going to be very it's going to be bloody during this CBA. So, excuse me, I believe it's going to be bloody. Uh, these players are are not going to like the deal that they come out of. Don't get me wrong, they're still going to make a lot, a lot, and I'm saying this with all caps. They're still going to make a lot of money, a lot of money. But you're going to see more stipulations and more emphasis on getting players to play because anything that isn't neutral is not beneficial. So the owners can play, the employer can pay all this money, and the employee can choose when and when not to work. You're not going to see that no more. You're not going to see that. That's going to be very few and far between, for sure. So also also another NBA news, and I'm going to skim through these two real quick because uh, these are exciting news. So I saw the, the, the tab officially roll through my phone. LeBron James is officially a billionaire, and he's the first active player to become a billionaire. So think about this. LeBron James, he's going to pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar all-time scoring record. Nine times out of ten this upcoming season, his 20th season, and how ironic it's going to be in a Lakers jersey. 
Now, I'm excited about that. But also, this dude is a mogul. He's he's a mogul. He's he's literally in a league of his own. So when people compare him to Jordan, I don't <laughs> look. It's the best comparison, even though I believe Jordan is levels above LeBron when it comes to just being the best player to ever play in the NBA. LeBron is not too far. And he proven it now with now officially becoming a billionaire. Just think about this. He made $900 million off the court. And I'm pretty sure a chunk of that came when he moved to L.A. and signed to L.A. I'm pretty sure a huge chunk came from when that happened. But he also made a total career earnings right now, as it stands, $385 million in the league with with his contracts. And if you want to be honest, LeBron is underpaid. He's underpaid and overworked where he's out playing these younger stars. He's playing more games than these younger stars. I believe this has been the least amount of games that LeBron ever played in his career. So, you know, that's that's just speaking volumes to his longevity and why we don't need to get rid of 82 games. But I'm digressing. So also in other news, Adam Silva also talked about the expansion teams to Seattle and Las Vegas. And he clearly said when they asked this question, that is not true. So it don't look like we're getting an expansion team in Seattle or Vegas anytime soon. And I'm not going to lie to you. I would really love a team in Vegas. Not Vegas, I'm sorry. Really love a team in Seattle for the simple fact they bring back those Seattle jerseys. Look, look, the classics already go crazy, but they bring back those Seattle jerseys. Oh, my God. Like, like Seattle probably got some of the best retros out of all NBA teams. Seattle, Toronto, those those two are definitely in my top my top ten. Uh, top Top three. <laughs> for sure, when I'm looking at retro jerseys. But that's all for uh, these NBA news. So let's get on to the topic at hand, which is game one. Game one, the Celtics won 120-108. And to be honest, I believe the Celtics was in control from the start of the game. Me personally, even though Steph Curry had a huge first quarter, huge, six three-pointers, Four of them was wide open. Four of them was wide open. Wide open. Like miscommunication, uh, people getting just hung up on screens. The big is not showing up high on the screen. And you can't be in a drop like you was in Miami. And that's what uh, Marcus Smart was saying in one of the mic'd up moments. And we'll talk about that later on as well. But you can't be in a drop with Steph Curry. You can't. You got to be up to the level of the screen. Even if you are in a drop, you want to force him to drive. But with that being said, he made six three-pointers in the first quarter. But you want to know what is funny? He didn't score not a single point in the second quarter. So Boston made that adjustment. Boston really, really did a good job of just funneling him, befuddling him, being physical with him. And to be honest, and we're going to talk about this as well later on, uh, but I believe they took a little bit of that game plan from the 2016 uh, Cavaliers series where they came back um, from 3-1 down. So I really believe that because it it was shades of that. And with Steph Curry making all six of those threes, Celtics was only down by four points at the end of the first quarter. 
That was what was so surprising. Any other team uh, that they played in this conference, Curry hit six six threes in the first quarter. The game is usually going to be in the in a sense of a blowout, where they're free flowing, Curry shimmying and dancing, but the Celtics was only down four points, and that just speaks to how good they were uh, as well offensively. I believe this is the most fluid uh, that the Celtics have been offensively in the whole entire playoffs. I really liked how they moved the ball. Uh, I really like how they just it was just always this one more action whenever they just got into the paint or got a driving opportunity. Like it was just always this pop, like the ball had life to it. So the ball was just moving and it had life to it. And I really loved it. So I liked how it popped, but um, in all honesty, <laughs> the Celtics got great individual defenders. Just think about this. Marcus smart defensive player of the year, Jason Tatum versatile defender. 6'9", 6'10", and long arms, athletic. Jalen Brown, 6'6", 6'7", athletic, springy, quick, lightning quick, long arms, active. Al Horford, savvy veteran, can still move his feet and just lateral, just outsmart, outsmart these younger guys. Like his veteran presence is just A1. And then you got Robert Williams, the young bull. And in my honest, about, honest to God opinion, it's just honest to God opinion. I believe he will be a, f- a future defensive player of the year within the next one or two years because the way he gets off the ground, the way he moves, the way he impacts the game, he still makes small little young young mind mistakes, but his defensive IQ is, is, is phenomenal. And to have that, you have Marcus Smart in the front court, well, the back court, and then have – Robert Williams back in the back uh, backcourt. That is, whew, whew, that's scary. So you got the head of a, you got the head of the snake, and you got the tail of the snake. Both are strong, and everything in the middle is still solid, still strong. So that that's what makes Boston. Honestly, the fact that they won this game, I believe the Celtics are in big trouble now. I really do. I, I'm sorry, not the Celtics, the Warriors. They are they are in big trouble because. For them not to win game one and definitely have the most experience, you gave confidence to Boston because they don't know no better. So the simple fact that they don't know, but no, they don't know no better. They're going to come out now, and I believe they're going to come out with more energy in game two than they did in game one. I believe game one was more of a fill-out game. And once they realized that they can take Golden State, one of Golden State's best punches, they just knew they knew from just watching the game, from rewatching it. I watched it like two times. I watched the game two times. And every single time I came to the same conclusion. Golden State, even though Steph Curry is going off, Boston looks like the more comfortable team. They look like the team that just that just knew how. Like they've been here. Like they was like they've been here. Like they had the experience in the finals. They look like the more comfortable team. They look like the more well-rounded team. And as Yume Adoka said, uh, and I'm pretty sure he didn't uh, quote this, but he said it verbatim, the Nets, the Suns, the Lakers, all these other teams are built by stars. We're all built by a unit. And I like that quote for the simple fact that they played exactly like a unit, exactly like a unit. They beat they beat the, the, the Warriors in – 
about, I want to say, five of the seven categories. So I like the way they moved the ball. I like the way they played. They played loose. They played free. They played for one another. It was <laughs> it was just great. And honestly, man, like the Celtics really, really got a good chance of winning the finals after seeing what happened in game one. And the reason that is, I want to talk about this as well. The reason that is, I really believe Marcus Smart was the MVP of game one. And I'm not talking from a scoring standpoint. I'm not even talking from a surface level where we're talking about points, rebound, and assists. He played well in all those categories. He played extremely well when it comes to the points he had, the rebounds he had, the assists. I really liked how he played, but it was his intensity defensively, the fact that he attacked Steph Curry defensively with his physicality. He's lightning quick as well, as well as just solid. That's what you know, people fail to realize Marcus Smart is one strong defender. I really like how he played his defense against Steph Curry. I like the game plan they had against Steph Curry where we just, we're not going to let Steph Curry just dance and shimmy. We're going to touch him up. And the fact that the Revs let him play really just helped the Celtics and set the tone. So that just, that helped Marcus Smart. And then the fact that he was communicating on the sideline, he was telling people stick with the game plan. Like we're not playing we're not in the Eastern Conference no more. We can't drop on on all these players. We can't we can't be in the drop off the pick and roll. We got to be up. We got to have a hand up. We we hey y'all y'all got to be in the drop, but you got to be up. We're chasing over aggressively. Like I love every bit of that talk with what what Marcus Smart was doing because he really set the tone. Like think about this: Marcus Smart had eighteen points, five rebounds, four assists, two steals. It was seven eleven from the seven for eleven from the field and four for seven from the three point line. Like if Marcus Smart plays like he did under control, because Marcus Smart he has moments in the playoffs where he just he just went berserk and it was almost like he was trying to lose the game on purpose. But if Marcus Smart plays like this, the Celtics will win this thing and they will win it like soon. And when I say soon, I mean like. They might win it in, in five or six at the rate that it's going. If Golden State does not make the adjustment, the Celtics will win this game. And I, I know Drew Golden State will make the adjustment. They got a great coach. They got a great core. But we're going to talk about that a little later on. But the Celtics, man, they play so well. I really like how they play. Uh, I really like what Marcus Smart did. And don't get me wrong, I still got Golden State in six. With all that being said, I really do. But the way the Celtics play, man, it it was it was scary. So as well. So the Celtics, of course, went on a not the Celtics. I'm sorry. I'm getting all these mixed up. But the um, the Warriors went on their their famous runs that they always go on in the third quarter. Thirty eight to twenty four. Thirty eight to twenty four. And. It seemed like it was coming in a barrage because it was just happening fast. Boom, boom, boom. Clay was hitting. Andrew was hitting. You know, Draymond made a couple and one layups. Like it was just, it was being phenomenal. But the Celtics hung in there. Like to to only be down eleven starting the fourth quarter was was perfect for them. Cause when they came out in the fourth quarter, think about this. They started the fourth quarter. The Celtics, and I know I'm talking a lot about what the Celtics have, are doing, but the simple fact, 
the Celtics literally dominated the whole game in my eyes, in my opinion. I did not expect it. I know the the storyline was what Derek Derek White and Al Horford was doing. They played great. Don't get me wrong. They played extremely well. But let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Jalen Brown. Now, Jalen Brown can be him and Marcus Smart can be in that same boat because Jalen Brown can be very loose with the ball. Uh, I believe he's this offseason he definitely got to tighten up his ball handling. Uh for sure. That's one area that I, I see for sure that he needs to tighten up. But outside of that, Jalen Brown is a boy. He's a dog. He can go get it. And when Jason Tatum ain't on, it's such a luxury to have Jalen Brown for the simple fact. You can run them same sets for for Jalen Brown as you do for Jason Tatum, and he can pr- practically get his shots off because he got a small guard on him. He's going to just shoot right over the top of him. If he got – and most of the time he going he going to take it to the back to take it to the basket and finish over him. If he got a bigger guard or big on him, it's just blow by like cone drill. So, I really like what Jalen Brown did. Like he had 10 points in the fourth quarter, two assists and one steal. And he contributed to a lot of what they uh that comeback. He went on practically like a 7-0 run by himself. Um so Jalen Brown definitely stepped up. He played under control. He played well. And the fact that Jason Tatum did not play well, and I'm saying this without <laughs> – think about this. I've just now mentioned Jason Tatum far as not playing well, and I'm all the way in the fourth quarter. But Jason Tatum matured from this standpoint. He matured from the simple fact that 13 assists two years ago, about seven of those assists – he would have tried to shoot over someone. He would have tried to force it. And that shows a maturity to me that Jason Tatum is finally kind of getting it. And I really love how he just played the game. Like, in all his shots, in all honesty, was not forced. All his shots was not forced. They they were great. Uh, I think he should have attacked the mismatch of Curry more because they're going to switch and put Curry on him. Jason Tatum, 6'10", Curry, 6'2". I know Curry is strong, and people don't give him credit for how strong he is, but, man, in all honesty, if somebody, if I'm 6'10", and somebody 6'2", getting on me, hey, <laughs> get out the way. ISO. Because it ain't no way. No way. So, you know, that's just me, me personally. But um, let's talk about the adjustments that I think each team should make. And I want to start with Golden State first. I really think they need to find a way. I really think they need to find a way to penetrate the basket. Because the way Boston shut down their driving lanes, the way they collapsed and ran, like Golden State got a lot of threes, but they they were rushed. Like they were closing out hard. They were scrambling. They were shutting out driving lanes, using their length, using their athleticism, getting out and just contesting the shooter. So all them shots that were falling in the first, second, and some of the third, they start missing short, missing long in the fourth because that effort, that consistent effort on defense, I tell people, I tell my players all the time, if you're playing the proper defense, running people off the line, contesting, getting a hand up, stick hand up, like eventually them shots are going to start falling short. 
Like eventually, you know, they're going to take a half second to think, should I shoot it or should I not? Because you're playing like it's it's a tit for tat. So I believe Golden State need to find a way to get easier penetration to the basket. Uh, I believe somebody else need to step up besides Steph Curry. Uh, I believe Draymond Green needs to capitalize on a lot of his scoring opportunities. Draymond Green cannot go into this series averaging single digits. That's just a fact. Because Draymond Green, they they pretty much, like, they shut everybody down, but it was just like, Draymond, you're going to have to score this series. You're not going to be able to orchestrate and point and tell people and instruct and be a great coordinator. Like, and I believe that's Draymond's greatest skill is that he's a great coordinator of the offense. He is like a he is like a quarterback. He is Tom Brady-esque from the simple fact that he has, and I don't want to come off or sound disrespectful, but he has a limited skill set, but he maximizes it because he knows how to use his skill set. And that's one thing to say. Like, Draymond ain't the best shooter. I believe Draymond will, will uh, attest to that. He's not the best shooter on the team. Steph Curry is. But I believe if he starts shooting those shots with confidence, I believe he frees up Steph Curry. Draymond's not the best ball handler in the league. Draymond's not the best ball handler in the series, but he don't turns it over on live ball dribbles. He usually turns it over trying to trying to see th- see something before it's seen. So I always use this phrase and let me understand. Let me let me make y'all understand what I'm saying. And my players hear this, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. You gotta see it before you see it, and then you can see it. And I believe Draymond has a lot of those see it before you can see it turnovers because he's thinking two, two, sometimes three steps ahead, while his teammates are only thinking one or two steps ahead. So that's that that be a lot of his turnovers. Now for Boston. I don't believe Boston needs to change anything. I think they need to still come out with that same intensity, especially defensively. I liked how they came out. I like how they was under control. They look they look like the veteran. So I really like how they looked under control. I really like how they came out. They came out solid. They came out and stuck to their game plan, even when Golden State went on a run. Like I said, Boston looked like the more mature team. They look like the more ready team. And to be honest, Golden State came in, in my opinion, like they knew they were just going to win game one by just reputation. And Boston came out and played game one to win game one. While I think Golden State came out to thinking that they were just automatically going to turn it on. So I believe that's what happened. Um, like I said, Golden State is championship team. They're they're proven. I believe they still will win this series, in my honest honest opinion. My honest humble opinion. Uh, I believe they will they will definitely come out swinging haymakers in game two. Now, how Boston will control? I think game two is going to be the most important game because Golden State cannot go down 0-2 going to Boston. I just I, – I believe they will not recover from that. So, I believe Golden State will come out. I believe they will come out ready, and I believe they'll win game two uh, starting tonight. So, that's going to be an interesting game. But Boston just need to stay the course. I want you to think about this. 
Boston. Boston outshot. Just think about it. Boston outshot the shooters. They outshot the shooters. Boston, 38 of their 41 threes, total attempted threes, was considered open in from the stat statistician. So I believe they just need to stay moving. I believe they stay they needs to stay snapping the ball, moving the ball. So for 38 of their threes, 38 of the 41 threes that they attempted are quote unquote were quote unquote considered open. I believe they did a great job of moving the ball and they made 21. 21 for 41, while Golden State went 19 for 45. Still great from Golden State, but Boston, of course, won that matchup. So, you know, I really, really like how Boston moved the ball. I really like how they shared the ball. Al Horford, Derek, Derek um, White stepped up big. I believe uh, for sure, for sure, uh, they need those. Boston need those. They need those people to contribute. They need the Derek Whites, the Peyton Pritchers, the Al Horfords. They got to add in. And I and I believe Jason Tatum won't have two bad back-to-back games. Um, I believe he had a good game regardless of, you know, what the scoring stats said. But I believe he had a good game. He controlled the pace. He controlled the tempo. He's just going to have to find a way to capitalize on when Steph Curry is switched onto him. And I believe Golden State need to figure out how to not get him switched, Curry switched on Tatum, because I believe Golden State will get murdered if they go in with that same switching game plan. And like I said, Curry is not a bad, he's not as bad as a a defender as people put him out to be. He's just small. He's just small, and he's working against bigger, naturally bigger guys. Jason Tatum is 6'10". Curry is 6'2", 6'3". So who you expect to win that matchup? Every single time with Curry on the defensive end, we already know Jason Tatum can just bury him under the basket, but that's a whole nother story. So, yeah. So uh, I really believe, man, Boston will have the same game plan. I believe uh, Boston will just need to stick to their defensive game plan of just blasting Steph Curry and letting Steph Curry beat him. So that's just my honest to God opinion. So that's what I like. So my pick for game two, my pick for game two is, like I said, it's going to be the Golden State Warriors. I believe Golden State will make the adjustments. I believe uh, Boston will still make it, make it very, very competitive. But at the end of the day, I like I said, I got, I got Golden State winning the series and I definitely got them winning game two. So definitely want to just, just thank y'all so much for tuning in to the show. I know I kind of babbled on uh, a lot, but I just wanted to, you know, break bread with y'all. Like I get, like I said, this is the ATO podcast, the first episode, and I'm definitely going to put out more weekly podcasts. I'm putting that. I'm stamping. I'm stamping that. I'm definitely going to put it out way more consistent. And like I said, I just want to thank y'all, man, for just tuning in. So I will see y'all in the next episode. Peace.